So this year, there seem to be two schools of thought about what is a really, really important issue. And the issue is this. When is the right time to put up your Christmas decorations? And on social media at the moment, there seems to be a stark difference between early decorators, those who have put their trees up already, and there are some of us in our church, I know you've already done it, and the argument goes, well, I know it's November, but we all need cheering up. It's been a really difficult year. So get the Christmas tree up, put the lights on, let's brighten our homes up. Others of us might have this attitude. And if you just look at the screen at the moment, there's an image which you may like the look of. Well, if you're in that second group of people and today you're a more sceptical decorator, you're leaving Christmas for at least another couple of weeks, even you have to admit that today is Advent Sunday and Christmas is almost upon us. But even when we get to Advent, even as Advent calendars are opened from Tuesday, there is still a wait. I can remember as a kid, you know, that that wait, that countdown of 24 days seemed to go on and on forever. Well, this morning, as we head off into Advent, we're going to go to a reading that reminds us of the prophecies of the coming of Jesus, the the foretelling of what God would do. And it's perhaps not one of the readings we'd turn to automatically during Advent, but it is definitely one that is themed about the coming of Christ. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, do you want to turn to the book of Numbers? And I'm going to read Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through to 19. It's entitled Balaam's Fourth Message. Then he spoke his message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheph. Eden will be conquered, Sire, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will go strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, as we open your word, we're just amazed when things written so long ago point to you coming as a baby. And we just pray that as we open up perhaps a passage that's not that familiar this morning, that you'll help us again to see clearly who you are, the hope that we have in your promises and the hope that that gives us today and for our future. So just speak to us, encourage us, we pray, through your word, by your spirit. Amen. Well, the book of Numbers is truly an ancient, ancient book. Um, The events in the book of Numbers end at around 1428 BC. And there are fragments of this book that were found in 1947 in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Ancient fragments of the book of Numbers that date back to the 3rd century BC, possibly. And I always find that really encouraging because what we know is with a, a real degree of certainty is that the people before Jesus were born were reading these words. They were reading them. They had hope. They were expectant that what was written here would take place. And it's also a reminder that Christian faith is always a reasonable faith. It's always rooted in history. It's based on evidence that we have before it. And I just find that really encouraging. It's good stuff to know. 
Now, Barlam is um, a character who appears in the Book of Numbers. And it's a rather interesting character and rather strange in some sense because he's first introduced with some scenes that involve a talking donkey. Just so we know a little bit about him before we actually come to what he said, I'll just very quickly um, highlight some points from the story that's gone on before. So the people of Israel, the people of Israel who were held captive in Egypt, have been freed by the Lord. And to cut a very, very long story short, they have wandered around in the wilderness and they're now approaching Canaan. And they've been achieving some military success as they've gone on. And um, a man called Balak, who was the king of Moab, has started to become fearful, having heard about the people of Israel. And so what he does is he enlists the help of Balaam. Now, Balaam is a non-Israelite, but he's a seer. He's viewed as somebody who can see into the future, um, and he has what appears to be a, a gift in terms of doing that. And he's offered a good reward by Balak for, for coming and seeming to, to curse the people of Israel. And Balak's hope is that actually if he does that, what will happen is it will make Israel conquerable. Now, Balaam eventually accepts this and he sets off for Moab on the back of a donkey. Now, as he's going on this journey, what he's doing is displeasing the Lord. He's acknowledged God in the verses before this, but he's not, if you like, somebody who is just set on worshipping the Lord. And so when God speaks to him, he just ignores it and goes his own way. So he's going down this road to Moab and an angel of the Lord appears in front of him. But the thing is, is he can't see it. Only the donkey can see it. And so we get one of the strangest twists of any narrative in the whole of the Bible. The donkey, and we presume this is only temporary, is gifted with speech. And so there is a narrative between Balaam and the donkey in chapter 22. And it's a bit of a reminder, I think, to, to all of us, actually, that God will speak to us. And sometimes as human beings, we can be so blinkered that we can't see what God is doing. And sometimes God will go to extraordinary lengths to, to get us to listen to him, to, to draw us close to him. You know, it might not be quite as unexpected as a donkey speaking to us, but let's have our eyes and our ears, our spiritual eyes and ears open to what the Lord is doing. Eventually, Balaam's eyes are open. He sees the angel of the Lord. He repents of what he has done and he vows from that point on to only say what God gives him, to, to put to one side all these sort of pagan ideas and to become somebody who only speaks the word of the Lord. And so the Lord then gives him seven different visions, seven prophecies. Prophecy is something that reveals the heart of God into the, the here and now. And sometimes it can involve foretelling what will take place in the future. So Balaam, who came to curse Israel, is now brought to bless Israel. And what we read a few moments ago was the fourth of these particular messages he's given. And they look forward to, to the great day when Jesus, the Son of God, would be born. But look who God uses to bring this forward, this message forward. A Gentile seer. Somebody who has only just acknowledged God. He is the one who has the privilege of bringing these words from the Lord that one is on his way, that the Messiah will come, that the saviour of the world will arrive. Now, God has always been speaking to people of every nation, tribe and song. Even though Israel was, was called as God's chosen people, it was always as a light to the nations. 
And we see this evidence throughout scripture. The day of Pentecost, people from various tribes and tongues and different um, people groups were represented as the spirit fell. As we fast forward to the end of Revelation, where we see the great multitudes before the throne of the Lamb, it's from every race and tribe and song. So in verse 17, we get these amazing words. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. If we fast forward some 15, 1600 years, it might even be longer than that, to the New Testament and to the beginning of the book of Matthew, there's a whole list of names. And it's the genealogy of the ancestors of Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 2. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. So although there was a huge gap in time-wise, it happened just as God said it would. There was a huge way, but when God says something, God will do it. Now, I wonder how many people in those intervening years had read the prophecies of Balaam and wondered, I wonder when this will take place. I wonder when what God has promised what will actually happen. I wonder how many people today are asking those questions. You know, when will Jesus return? When will all God's promises be fulfilled? When, Lord? Well, there's more in this passage. Does the star that is mentioned, the star rising, does that remind us of anything? Well, hopefully it will remind us that in a couple of weeks' time we'll be retelling the nativity accounts. We'll be thinking about those wise men, those Magi journeying from the east with their strange gifts. How did they know where to look for Jesus? Well, it's most likely they read it here and they realized that God was doing something. And when they saw those signs in the heavens, they knew where to go and where to find Jesus. Some writers writing about the Bible have suggested that actually um, the reason that the Magi knew was that some of the manuscripts from the time of exile of the Book of Numbers had, had been left behind in Persia and there were possibly Jewish communities there who were keeping them. And so these just got passed around and handed about. And so that people knew, they knew what to expect. They knew what God was going to do. Hundreds of years of later, it all takes place. One of the most amazing encounters of Christmas is as those magi come with those gifts, those prophetic gifts, those gifts that represent kingship, divinity, and sacrifice. Just as God said, God acted. Just as God said it would happen, so it did. But there's more. I mean, the, the rest of that reading, all of those events that Balaam prophesied, they all took place as well in a rather tighter time window. But God is faithful. You know, when God says he will do something, when God promises something, it does happen. And the Bible is full of, of the promises of God, isn't it? Of, of examples of when God has said something and God has been faithful to what he has said. Just a few examples. The other day, um, we were out walking and we saw a rainbow. And it's always that reminder, isn't it, of the promise given to Noah that the world will never be flooded in its entirety again. And, you know, living in the Northwest, that is a real encouragement when sometimes it seems it rains so much that a flood may be just around the corner. But what an amazing promise. What a visual reminder of the goodness of God. Jesus promised before his ascension that, that when he went, the Comforter would come, the Holy Spirit would be given. We see that promise fulfilled in Pentecost, and we still live in those last days when the Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. And we know we live with the reality 
of God's promise. Jesus has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And Paul in Romans says, nothing can separate us from God's love. These are promises that we can cling on to now. And we can know them to be true as we draw near to Christ. Advent is a time when, traditionally as Christians, we we would look forward to celebrating the first coming of Jesus. But it's also a time where, for many hundreds of years, Christians have thought about the return of Christ, that great day when Jesus returns in glory. Are we looking forward to that day? God has fulfilled his promises in the past, so he will do in the future. But I wonder for us, sometimes, and you, you may be a bit like this this morning, that actually, you know, we, we hear about God's promises, we read it in the scriptures, we read prophecy, but it can seem a little bit distant, it can seem a little bit abstract, a little bit theoretical. But just think for a moment when we make promises as human beings, and just to give three different examples. If a couple is getting married and they make their promises on their wedding day, actually it's only as those promises get lived out that they start to really mean anything. When we dedicate um, a baby in in church, it's only as those promises that the parents or, or the godparents have made that the child grows and they start to have to live those promises out, that those promises actually start to, to gather meaning and gather momentum in their lives. Perhaps a slightly more practical one. If we sign a contract to buy a new car or a new house or a dining room suite or whatever it might be, and we've signed a bit of paper to say we'll, we'll buy it, it's not the paper that, that makes that promise relevant. It's actually only when we start living with that new item of whatever it is we've purchased. And it's only when we actually live trusting in God's promises that they actually start to take root in our lives and they actually start to make a difference to how we think, how we feel, how we relate to the world around us. I wonder as we go into this Advent season, as we approach Christmas, are you secure in the promises of God? Are you resting in God's faithfulness? Do we believe his words that when he says he'll do something, he will indeed do it? Just think for a moment about your response to Christmas decorations. You know, you might be an early advocate today. You might already have your tree up. Or you might be waiting for another couple of weeks. But, you know, it doesn't really make any difference one way or the other. Christmas Day will still happen on the 25th of December. And it will happen at the same speed whether you put your your decorations up two weeks ago or you're leaving it another two weeks. But what does happen, the change that we can do, is how we react to those events how we react to the coming of Christmas. Just think about your response to Christmas decorations for a moment. You you might be the early advocate. You might already have your tree up, and it might have already been up for two weeks. Or you might be the patient waiter. You might think, no, give it another two weeks. Second weekend of December is when my tree goes up. But actually, it doesn't really matter which of those two you are. The, The reality is that Christmas Day will land on the 25th of December, as it does every year. And what we do doesn't make it any quicker or slower. But what we can change is how we react to that event. The promises of God, the faithfulness of God, I believe is true because God's word says it. And God has proved himself faithful in the past. The things that he said so many centuries ago about Jesus, the things that were given to Balaam, have already happened. What a a comfort, what a confidence that gives us in God today. We can be confident and hopeful in the here and now, because Jesus has said his spirit is here. And I believe we see evidence of that in the lives of people, in the lives 
of our church. And because of those things, we can have great confidence to know that he will return, that his promises are yes and amen, that he will return just as he said. And we have a choice today as we think about the promises of God, about the faithfulness of God. We can rest in these things. We can trust in them. We can live life with, with that. We've talked about this before, about that as our soundtrack. Or we can ignore them. We can let the fears of this world sweep our confidence in God away. We can get taken up with fake news or conspiracy theories. Or we can just be consumed by other things. At this time of waiting, God will do what he has said he will do, just as he said it. So can I encourage each of us as we go into Advent? Let's enter this season with a real sense of hope and joy. It will be a different Christmas. Many things this year we won't be able to do that we would want to do. But the hope of Christmas, the hope of the gospel, the hope of Advent, the certainty of Jesus' return, are things that we can all cling on to and a hope that we can have for this life and into the life that is to come. Christ has come, just as God said he would. Christ rose from the dead, just like Jesus said he would. Jesus will return, just as he promised. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when you speak, your words are true. Thank you for the evidence that we see out of your word. Thank you for the testimonies that so many of us have in our own hearts. And we just pray that as we enter this Advent and Christmas season in this strangest of years, that you'll keep our eyes fixed on you, keep our hopes secure in your word, and help us journey through this time, knowing the presence of God ever closer each day. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.